0: Welcome to episode 126 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording August the 8th, 2021. My name is Eric, the host of the show, based in Southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and uh, there was something in there about me being something else, but I cut it out. Thanks, Ian. (laughs) Uh, Based in Southern Ontario, I'm a hunter, target shooter, and I read that already. Uh, I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer.
1: You know, I throw in a little bit there and it completely destroys. It completely,
0: completely screwed me up there. (laughs) Thanks, Ian. I appreciate that. It's great. Yes, that's
1: what I do. Uh, My name is Ian and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm a student preparedness target shooter. My farm's designated mediocre handyman. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall
2: safety nerd.
3: I'm Scott, uh, first responder splitting my time between Southern and Northern Ontario. I like to learn things and I don't accept that things will always carry on the way they are simply because it'd be convenient.
4: And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, soon to be ham radio operator and general overall handyman.
5: Hi, I'm Ben. Actually, I recently- <laughs> I'm Ben. I recently resettled to a ranch in Arizona for better gun rights and uh, more freedom. I'm the author of the Wood Gasifier Builder's Bible, a step-by-step guide to making your own fuel from wood, so you can power through the rise and fall of the world order. Because winter is coming, so be ready.
3: Want to help to support the show, keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast T-shirt and the Tactical Velcro <laughs> Patch at PrepperPodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled with gasoline or wood gas.
4: And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, to our bad, or just if there's a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca.
0: All right, so we've got some powerful content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Next, we'll let you know what we've done for our preparedness, and then uh, we'll get into the main topic, the uh, wood gasifier technology. So let's move into the news. Um,
2: in things that surprise no one, Quebec is implementing a vaccine passport uh, that allows fully vaccinated people to have more freedom than others. Uh, our dear leader supports this concept and wants to roll it out over the rest of the country, so be prepared to show your papers or not do things that you could otherwise do, because
1: some people are more equal than others. Yeah, two weeks from, to, uh, sorry, from two weeks to flood the curve to Papers, Please, in a year and a half.
2: Mm-hmm. Took a little longer than I thought it would, to be yeah. honest. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, related article for me uh, mandatory vaccinations uh, In he's, I guess he's asking if it's legal for federal workers to be uh, subjected to mandatory vaccination um, so I put an art- article link in there as well but funnily enough uh, going with my age old theory that whatever's in the headlines is the exact opposite of what happens three weeks later I put in a couple other headlines for reference that uh, three weeks ago he actually literally said there won't be mandatory vaccines in Canada
0: and now here's Quebec my head hurts. What,
1: yeah. what?
2: A politician lying about something. Politicians. Hey, hold on.
0: Hold on. Know, this I is the politi- first
2: time that has ever happened in life.
1: <laughs> I know politicians are, are shitty people, but uh, I still I, I hold out some hope that at least they could be honest for at least a month.
2: Three three minutes and forty seconds, Eric, before you have to click the explicit button. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, that's that's all right. I, all I right. get
0: it. It's fine. I'll check the box. Free reign on swearing now.
1: Okay, so away from politics, uh, maybe not, I don't know. So six ships uh, in the space of a day and a half kind of lost control in the Gulf of Oman uh, within a very short time frame. So I think there's some, uh, I can say it now, fuckery from Iran. And <laughs> so they, they honestly, I don't know what's going on, but I guess a bunch of oil tankers have uh, also just lost control and started veering towards shore and veering towards restricted waters and everything else. And they can't figure out what caused it, but all of them were preceded by a drone flying overhead the ship. Hmm. Do you Funny think hacker timesman times
2: time. wasn't able to do things, he was yelling out, Oh man, as that was happening.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's why they called the golf that, right?
4: Oh, uh, that is bad.
1: Uh, there's one giant Terrible. dad joke, yeah. Uh, so yeah, interesting. I don't know what's going on with that, but uh, there's obviously some technology being tried or you know, potential wartime strategies being tested or whatever. But interesting, yeah,
5: yeah. Hmm.
0: yeah. that's all I had. All right, I've uh, I've got an article here that uh, I'm sure is going to set a few people off on the panel. Uh, vaccinated Americans can now enter Canada. Well, not now, as of Monday, so tomorrow can uh, enter Canada, but uh, wow. vice versa, we still can't go.
1: Yeah. So before the show, I asked yeah. the guys if it was okay <laughs> for us to do the same and go down to the states because you know Costco and yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, well, the students said no. I nope. think my head had a minor minor stroke. I don't know yeah. what it was, but it oh. uh, it's I don't understand what how they can justify. People traveling one direction but not the other. Right? You know, does COVID not recon- or recognize citizenship or something? I don't know.
5: Yeah. Well no, Who knows?
2: if if we don't if if we don't travel among them, we're not gonna get sick. But if they travel among us, we're also
0: not gonna get sick for some for some reason. Ah because science it's, it's, we're just and and
4: there, and there are people that come up here won't get sick and take it back down there.
0: It's gotta work like a check valve, I guess. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all yet. yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> And I've just got one from um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric, whatever it is. They call it NOAA in the States. And they're basically, um, just from the prepper side of it, expecting a, uh active hurricane season for the fall of 2021. They're saying uh, it's not going to be the worst, but there's a 60% chance that it's going to be uh, above to more than above average. So just kind of keep your... Keep your eye on your stock and things you've got if you're in an area where there's a possibility that uh, you could be uh, in the path of a hurricane.
2: Let's also be aware that weather forecasters are wrong some like 85 percent of the time and still manage to not get fired. Yeah, true.
0: This is true. Which means
2: which which could go one way or the other. It could be the absolute worst season ever seen, or it could be a little damp for a few. Or they could go work time.
5: at the CDC. <laughs> yeah, well, there, or,
4: completely- or, it could, or it could be like the Farmer's Almanac that has told us, and I didn't put it in there, but they're saying for this upcoming winter it's going to be another cold and snowy winter, which is what they've been saying for three years, and we've had next to nothing. So, uh,
0: hold on, it's going to be cold and snowy in the winter time.
4: Yeah, I know it was shocking. Come isn't on, it? I think mean, uh, it's three times instead of twice. Yeah,
0: apparently,
1: I, I think it's interesting because, like a baseball player, if you do your job well a third of the time, you're considered good
4: that is actually considered above average
3: yeah Mm yeah I don't know (laughs) fair enough Uh, my news article kind of springboards off Jeff's uh, just looking at some problems they've detected with the Gulf Stream um, Mm. and sort of the the whole conveyor system circulating warm water around the Atlantic and uh, if that starts breaking down it's going to further create weather problems so Yay, more things to prepare for. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> so what we're saying is that first there was weather and then there was a predictable pattern of weather and then the pattern's changing so there'll be more weather.
0: Huh, gotcha.
1: Regardless right. of the cause, weather events are going to happen. Let's put it that way.
5: Yeah.
0: So you should probably prepare for them. Yeah. And you probably already have because you're listening to this podcast. There you go. Just saying. <laughs> that, shall we move into what we've done lately for preps?
3: Uh, I think that's a great idea. Considering we're all listening to this podcast, uh, I had some firewood delivered, some nice hard maple, uh, and got some advice from uh, a very <laughs> wise fella about how to take down all those trees that uh, fell and broke in that rather nasty windstorm I had a couple of weeks back. They're all kind of hanging awkwardly, and not something I want to venture into uh, haphazardly with a chainsaw. So, uh, that will be one of my <laughs> coming projects. Nice. Cool.
4: And I, uh, did some more food prep. I pulled out and, uh, just did my monthly test on my uh, generator. We're having, uh, now I'm not sure having what Eric's about to say, but we're, uh, going into a fish camp next month. And one of us is taking our generator to, uh, to run it. So I just thought I'd pull it out and test it. I didn't realize that Eric had bought one of those uh, good deals. I repaired the propane lines on uh, the trailer. Uh, My mom noticed that she was going through an abnormal amount of propane, couldn't find any leaks, couldn't smell anything. Uh, I tried to convince her to, you know, just take a, a lighter and go along the line and see where it lit up. But uh, she wasn't willing to do that, so I, I don't know why. But, um, uh, and uh, I'm specking out a uh metal they call them a job box as opposed to um like a toolbox. It's just, I mean, Greenlee and a couple other companies make them, and I'm looking at that as a Faraday box that I can put my generator in. Uh, that will probably save me a substantial amount of money as trying to build my own with some fabric. So Stay tuned nice. uh, for that
2: that's a big heavy-duty box. I like it. Yeah.
0: That'll be good. Uh, so for myself, I uh, picked up a Furman generator on a pretty good deal, thanks to uh, the better Andrew on the uh, the OGCPP. Um, and Jeff, for the fish camp, two is one, one is none. So yeah. there we go. That is, a, that is true. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, Clean up my coax cables uh, in the office here. So, uh, just for my ham radio setup, I had a couple cables coming in just through the drop ceiling here, and it didn't look all that great. So, ran those to the wall and made a couple of face plates to the wall and a little pass through. So, it's uh, it's all working. Uh, It looks a little bit more professional now. So, no more wires coming down from the ceiling, at least not coax cable.
1: Awesome. Uh,
2: (laughs) Did you put some switches in while you were doing that? Well, you know, why just not? Just Make people guess. One <laughs> yeah, switch exactly. so it well, doesn't
3: do anything, mm-hmm. and then two but switches just just that do other things. On it. And, yeah. Oh yeah.
0: yeah, emergency cutout, something. You
1: know. It's kind of like the console in the Enterprise where Chekov
0: starts like flipping buttons and furiously doing stuff just to make himself look busy. If we're going down the Star Trek road, I'm just leaving. <laughs> All right, fine. Star Wars, then next time. Ah! <laughs> <sighs>
1: All right, as for myself, uh, work. So, yeah, boo for me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, things are picking back up, so I'm uh, on the road a little more, so not a whole lot of time at home. Uh, started receiving some bits for solar power box number two. Uh, I'm trying to do a portable solar power box versus the fixed one in the house, so I can take camping with me with a portable panel and everything else. And see here, did a quick feed run to top up the chicken feed and uh, that's pretty much it i only had time to do the uh, waters and feeder top up and then you know kiss the wife on the forehead high five the daughter and then go back to work so um yeah that was it and besides we're supposed to keep this short now according to our listener feedback so <laughs> there we go true yep yep good point
2: well
3: well done ian yeah <laughs> That's yeah, the, cut most back cons-
1: in.
2: the most concise week
1: you've ever
3: had. I
2: like it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been on. I was on vacation last week as some much needed r some mental health refresher. Um, the only thing else that exists in my house right now is working on my garage, getting it uh, ready to move into because, boy, I'm ex- I'll be excited when that happens. And just general house maintenance, kind of getting, uh, you know, making general improvements around the house. So that's my, that's been my week.
5: Nice. nice. I'm actually building a steel bunker in the desert and I'm doing it while steel prices are shooting up 26%. But I think the time is more valuable than the steel. So I'm just going for it. Nice. Yeah. So steel Ben wins. way cooler than my garage. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah ben totally wins this week. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I still, most still tonight. <laughs>
0: yeah. Steel
2: bunker. Steel totally yeah, bunker. I was going to ask you about in floor heating, but you're in Arizona. So you probably don't need that.
5: Yeah. I'm trying to get cool trying to trying yeah. to live like the rabbits and the ground squirrels. I've been watching them and, and learning from them.
3: I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to have to have you back on for another episode just talking about building steel bunkers. Yeah.
5: Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm taking pictures. Uh, I'll definitely uh I'll definitely nice. do that.
3: I'm very excited awesome. for your next book.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one heck of a segue. We should move into the main topic. <laughs>
3: Uh, So this topic has been a bit of a pet project of mine. Uh, It was actually how I found this podcast looking for information on wood gasifiers. Uh, You guys didn't have anything, but I enjoyed the witty banter, so I kept listening. Uh, but you and two other
2: people so yeah <laughs>
3: well, I brought some friends what can i say yeah. um so i think ben invented this technology and then traveled back in time to the mid 1800s to yes. uh, to seed it is that is that right i, I did yeah <laughs> so congratulations on the time travel yep. um it's rather old technology it was ra- around in the mid 1800s and apparently during world war 2 there were roughly a million vehicles that ran on wood gas uh yeah. so Bit of a boost during the oil crisis in the 70s, to the point where FEMA in the States published plans to build a very simple one. Um, the pros, like Ben, will warn you not to use those designs if you happen to like your engine, because uh, there are much better designs out there. Uh,
4: Can
5: I interject real quick? My, absolutely. My, my first gasifier was a FEMA gasifier. And it took me five tries to even make any gas but when it did like when it finally made that first puff of gas i felt like merlin i mean it was <laughs> I and grabbed, like my wife and kids and i said like, come look at this and they're like it's a puff of gas like what are we supposed to think and i was like no 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 this is the beginning of something great <laughs> and then i cut it up and i built a good gas fire <laughs>
3: how, how long did that engine last with the fema gas fire
5: You know, I didn't even really, I think, get to an engine grade after that. It was so intermittent, and I I was making a ton of mistakes. I was shooting hot gas into into water, and it was mixing steam with the flammable gas, and it was a mess. But I I switched over to a Mother Earth News design, and then I was running a Lincoln welder generator. It was a 16-horsepower single-cylinder really easy to clean the tar off the valves <laughs> you're just learning you're probably gonna make a little tar and that that's okay uh but you a little little bit of acetone and a um scotch bright pad will clean that up and and you can get right back in business all
3: right cool yeah um uh, just to to take it back to the beginning with for the listeners um and the way i describe it please feel free to correct me ben yep um when i'm describing wood gas i tell people to picture a campfire right? We've all sort of sat watching the campfire. uh, And there's that, you know, little bit that shoots out of the end of a log, there's like a little jet of fire shooting out, right? And that's, that's basically wood gas, right? If you put a metal funnel on your fire, you'll notice the little flame at the tip, If you stretch that tip further and further and further away from the fire (laughs) far enough to get that tube into an engine. uh, You're taking some of those combustible products and putting them in the engine. Right, the the burn yep. in the campfire isn't just a one-step process; it's a whole multi-step process. But it's all happening kind of at the same time under your marshmallows. Yep. Um, if we divide up that process, so the flammable gases are rising up, but they they're not burning until they get enough oxygen. Um, hence the dancing flames. That's kind of what we're trying to encourage with a, a big metal machine. So if we build that funnel to split up the stages of that process and move some of the gas from the campfire to burn inside the engine, we can power an an engine. Yep. bit of an oversimplification, but that's essentially explains the concept, I hope.
5: Yeah, that's a good concept. I also like to use a blacksmith forge just to kind of get the idea. You know, the the root of gasification is charcoal. Even though we can focus on wood, the chemical uh, synthesis happens to charcoal. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But again, it's yeah, it's getting that airflow over the surface. You want it starved of oxygen, like Scott just said, and then uh, yeah, you can start pulling off uh, the gas and and running engines.
3: So yeah, so wood gas has less energy density than other fuels. Um, you know, if we picture that the tri fuel generator that uh, we were all talking about a couple of weeks ago that Costco had, put gasoline in it, you get ten thousand watts. Put propane in it, you get nine thousand watts natural gas you get 7000 watts. Uh, so it's the same engine but you get different output based on the fuel. Yeah. So with wood gas it'll vary depending on the what you're putting in like a nice hard maple versus balsa wood. Yeah. Uh, but you know as an estimate let's say you get 6000 watts. Yep. Is that a, a a safe number to kind of look at?
5: Yeah, probably yeah 5 to 6000 watts if you wanted to add a little um kind of blow or push to the the air inlet, you probably get up to about 6,500 watts, kind of a little
3: little electric supercharger kind of deal. So, you know, you're trading that energy density and convenience for fuel availability. I have way more trees on my property than I have fossil fuel wells. So to me, it just makes sense to be able to use that as as my fuel source. Uh, So it's really cool that smart people like Ben (laughs) have refined a device to produce clean combustible gas with a high temperature, low oxygen burn. Uh, admittedly, most of what I know, uh, I learned about from Ben's book, The Wood Gasifier Builder's Bible. Uh, admittedly, mine's only the second edition, sorry, Ben. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, and then the uh, all the matching videos on your very informative website woodgasfireplans.com uh, and sort of all the, the linked videos on YouTube and there's some fantastic stuff out there we were, we were talking about a little uh, little before. Um, so it's uh, it's lovely interesting technology that I'm absolutely mesmerized by. Uh, I'm very excited to have you on as a guest Ben because I don't need to be on the podcast anymore now that we've done this show. Uh, so I'm <laughs> <laughs> pleased to introduce our uh Our guest Ben Peterson
5: thank you so much I really appreciate you guys having me on been at this for about 15 years and uh, when I first started I I, it was so I was so different you know I was like helping you know real estate developers you know like Donald Trump sell a quarter billion dollars worth of real estate in Vegas I was a totally different person on a different life track you know and then I I started trading options and I I learned about you know um, basically what was happening with subprime. And then I got just kept going down the rabbit hole. And then I started reading globalist docs and I started to see like, you know, agenda 21, all this other stuff and going, Holy cow, this is real, even though it sounds insane. And so I took my little family and I moved us to the middle of nowhere on a 20 acre farm out in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, yeah, I just, I tried all sorts of stuff. I tried, you know, uh, the thermal electric modules on the, on the wood stove. I tried, You know, solar panels were still about five, six bucks a a watt at that time. Um, Looked into steam, but most of the people sold steam, steam stuff. They were like, you're going to blow yourself up. i was like, well, I don't want that. And then I stumbled on wood gasification. I couldn't believe that it existed. You know, like I'd never heard of it before. It just, I thought it was an internet hoax at first. And so I was really like the ultimate skeptic moving into it. And... um, yeah, but I, I saw the need, you know, I'd moved my family off grid, you know, we're getting ready for what's happening now. You know, like everything that's happening now is, is what got this started, you know, back then. And uh, so kind of my own journey, I you know, started, I was just tinkering in 2007, and uh, posting up, you know, YouTube videos. And then in 2008, uh, just this terrible storm swept through the Northwest, it, it froze over the freeway, you know, power was down for a couple of weeks. And all I had was this kind of Mother Earth news era, you know, kind of gasifier in my Lincoln welder generator. And you know what, I, I, I was able to defrost pipes and, and power things and, and, and keep my life moving forward. And it was just, it was an aha moment. It wasn't pretty, you know, I did make tar and and uh, I wasn't running 24 seven or anything, but it, it kept me alive and it kept me welding and working. And I just, I felt like I was master of, of myself still. I wasn't a, a victim of, you know, the weather or anything else. And so after that, I just decided I want to teach everybody because, you know, wood gas is hard without a, a teacher because you're building a refinery. It's, you know, you're basically it's a personal scale refinery and you got to get the chemistry right. So that's uh, that's kind of what what got me in and, and made me a believer. Well,
1: it's kind of funny because I was watching a uh, private almost 10 years ago. Now, it's uh, Engineer 775. He had uh, he has a YouTube channel and he does all sorts of things, water catchment. He does uh, wood gasifiers. He does all sorts of stuff. But everybody else just touches on it. They never actually go into any detail. And so, uh, you know, it's always one of those prepper things where you're like, oh, wood fire, good idea. But I have yeah. no idea where to even get started. So actually, I'm glad Scott got on this. And I'm, it's too bad we're going to lose him after this episode. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but honestly, like, yeah, because like there's, there's so many basic questions, you, you know, a guy can ask that, that really like there's no other source for it. So I'm, I'm certainly glad you're doing your channel. Um, yeah. just, I'm trying to put it into perspective for the average listener, mm-hmm. though, that yep. obviously knows about what I do. And I read your document there and it said basically you can plan for 2.5 pounds of wood per kilowatt hour. So yeah. kilowatt hour, meaning a thousand watts for an hour, you yep. know, as far as power generations. Uh, so I kind of worked it out to 111 nine watt LED bulbs from Costco or 1660 watt bulbs for an hour uh, <laughs> is what you can do with 2.5 pounds of wood, which is basically a kilo for us in Canada, right? So yeah. 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 You're
5: a little over a kilo. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure. And so like, yeah. And of course, I guess, depending on the type of wood you're using, hardwood or, or pine or whatever. <laughs> but that's actually still a pretty energy dense when you think about it.
5: Yeah, it really is. You know, if you fill a, you know, five gallon bucket full of of wood chunks, what is it? It's about, it's in the book. I think it's about 22 pounds of wood equals the energy density in a gallon of gasoline to give you an idea if you wanted to make that kind of comparison. So that's maybe two five gallon buckets full of hardwood, maybe Mm -hmm. depending on how you kind of cut your chunks or whatever.
1: Yeah. So as far as like size, like, uh, If you're going to try and power a vehicle, which might be a little bit, you know, uh, I guess uh, audacious as a startup thing, but if you're trying to like power a pickup truck or something, how much space in the back of that bed would it take up?
5: uh, Well, it depends on the length of the bed, but you're probably going to take up a good half of it. Um, Yeah. I've I've done like a Ford F-250 back in the day, but I was using stainless steel gasifiers and I wasn't comfortable parking it outside because I just felt like scrappers were going to come and take it out of the back and it's just too shiny. You know what I mean? If you're going to if you're going to do it, you got to do it like Wayne Keith and, and those guys. They just use like 55 gallon drums. I'm not a, a fan of that thin metal, but keep it kind of basic looking. And uh, I did a dump truck one time and I actually put it on the front and, and that saved all the space. I didn't want to put it in the, in the dump because that would have been really challenging <laughs> to carry gravel around the property. But um, and, and then the plumbing was really easy because it was on the front. So I just went right back to a, a makeshift carburetor. It, it, was, it was ugly, but I got it around the road and, and got a YouTube video out of it and and whatnot. So, um, yeah, to go 100 miles, you're probably going to eat up 30 to 40 pounds of wood. It'll depend on the the size of the uh, engine and, and the weight of the vehicle. You want to keep it light. The guys who really do this, they like, you know, like a, what are they using? Like a Dodge Dakota with a V8, you know, like Wayne Keith and drive on wood. That's what he uses. Or um, there's people who do it on a trailer, like Vesa McConan over in uh Finland, I think he's. Whereas he's at, he builds really nice gas fires for um, vehicle applications, and he'll put it on a trailer so you can kind of take it on and off. That has more to do with the um, inspections that they have for vehicles, and so he can just disconnect the trailer, go through, you know, emissions or whatever, <laughs> get his stamp, and then turn around and go hook up the trailer, and he's he's back in business.
1: Okay. And so, like, just basically the engines, are they pretty much almost straight compatible with a wood gasifier, or is there, like, major uh, adjustments you have to do to the engine to accept, like, a wood gasifier gas?
5: You know, back in the day, we used to um, really focus on, like, um, advancing the timing just a little bit because there's hydrogen and carbon monoxide in the gas. So the the hydrogen burns really fast, and the carbon monoxide burns slow. Combined, they have an effective octane of about like hundred and four so it's it's you know it really likes a high compression I mean if you could put it in a spark ignited diesel engine that would be the ultimate um, then you get all the power or not all of it but a lot of the power out of it is you know it, it definitely it's a flammable gas so you want to use a spark ignited engine um, if, if you want to run it in a diesel it's it's more challenging because you have to kind of blend up to eighty percent wood gas and still have some of that diesel to get that auto ignition okay so Hmm. definitely something to to think about.
1: And so riding a vehicle on, on wood gas, um, I guess differences in maintenance, I guess be my big question. You mentioned tar removal. What's that all about?
5: Well, ideally when you have your system tuned in, you're not going to make tars at least once you're up to operating temperature. And so you have a flare mode, basically kind of how it works is, you know, the first five minutes you're making wood smoke and then it starts to get flammable. And as soon as it is, you want to light it just so you don't have to smell the smoke. And then, um, Right about 10 to 12 minutes in, if the system's hot, you're ready to go, and you should be making a tar-free gas. And, and at that point, then you send it to the engine, and, and you start running, and, and everything should be good. Tar is something, you know, it can be design-related for sure, but a lot of it's, you know, just kind of new user stuff, and, um, and then just kind of sizing everything. You want the right size gasifier for the, the right size engine. And what I did in my book is I, I put a, like a hearth sizing chart, and so, you know, exactly the dimensions in the hearth where all the chemical processes happen to, to um, pair the hearth with, um, with, you know, with the right engine, whether it's stationary or vehicle or, or whatever your application is.
1: Okay. Could you, re- could you like, uh, equate kind of tar with, uh, like, creosote in a chimney for a wood stove?
5: That's exactly what it is. So, yeah. it's just incompletely combusted, um, you know, yeah, creosotes and, and, and oils. Um, you basically you're, you're either not getting hot enough or there's not enough what's called residence time it takes a little bit of time for that stuff to break down depending on the temperature right about 1100 degrees celsius it tends to break down pretty quick mm-hmm. there are designs that are more slow gasification where they might only go up to like 950 but they have a way of making the, the um chemical process go slower so it, it's fine it works and there are people who have more of like a fast gasification approach they're just it's more of like a a, a blacksmith um, forge, you know, you're just hitting it with as much air as possible, getting it just fast and loose and, and doing it that way.
1: Whereas I guess with the gas fire, you want to kind of limit the airflow, I guess, to kind of keep it from turning from charcoal to open flame or something?
5: Yeah, yeah. Th- that's part of the hearth sizing because you want just enough oxygen coming in to get that partial oxidation. And, and the effect of that is essentially just heating up the surface of the charcoal. And then what happens is the oils rise up into the hopper. They kind of circulate. And then the the vacuum of the engine or the blower pulls those kind of crude, smoky yellow oils down through this hot charcoal. In phase one, it goes through oxidation. And so it's hitting the the outside of the charcoal and it's um, it's breaking down. And when it breaks down and it burns, it really kind of turns into, um, you know, carbon dioxide. And then you have water vapor. And then just below the choke plate, which is kind of like a Venturi in a carburetor, the charcoal is still hot. But now there's no oxygen. And so this chemical process happens called reduction. And the, the, the carbon has so much heat built up, it, it wants to burn so bad, it just starts ripping oxygen molecules off of anything it can get its hands on. So that charcoal in that environment, it'll it'll pull the oxygen molecule out of water vapor, leaving the hydrogen for gas. And it'll pull an oxygen molecule off of CO2, and what that does is it um, it gives you carbon monoxide, which I know has you know terrible branding, but it's it's a clean burning fuel. And and then from that point you have a you should have a tar-free gas. And then what you'll have is you'll have light um, soot, you know, just really fine kind of micronic carbon dust. And we use uh, various types of filtration to filter that out. If you knock it down most of the way, it's it's fine if you get a little bit in your engine and your intake, it you know it'll burn fine. You just don't want to you know clog your intake with it, but it's um it's really not a big deal. Kind of the old timer guys, they don't mind a little bit of soot because most vehicles have you know an aluminum intake yep. and that's what will actually coat the uh, surface in the aluminum intake and just give it a little bit of extra protection. yeah,
1: I was gonna say because like there's got to be some sort of extra wear items or filters and stuff needed. so yeah, obviously a filter for the uh, the soot. Um, but if you're running a vehicle on wood gas, is there any other kind of maintenance issues that might pop up that that way?
5: Not really. Usually on a vehicle, those guys will run two filters. You have you like your main filter and then you have what's called a plug stop filter. And that's like a fine polishing filter that's closer to your engine. And it's, it's also there as a protection. If, if your main filter fails for some reason, Mm -hmm. the, the soot will rush through, it'll clog up that, that, that final filter. Your engine dies and it says to you, "Hey, something's wrong," and you know, then you got to fix it.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, the o- and the only other thing I had uh, been able to compare this to was the uh, the old fischer tropes process back from uh, World War II when the Germans were trying to make synthetic gas. Um, just for the listeners, I know you answered it to me, but uh, for the listeners, is that fairly similar to that process.
5: fischer tropes is just taking you know wood gas or synthesis gas, compressing it over a hot, usually an iron catalyst. And, and that'll switch the molecules around and it goes from a very fine gas that's even finer than natural gas. And uh, those carbon chains will start at- attaching to each other and create what's called long chains. And when those long chains fall in a, in a diesel range, they, they condense out into a clean diesel. And that's, that's the fischer Tropes process. It was used by South Africa during the time of apartheid because they were under fuel embargo. Probably works best with um, like coal or charcoal, you know, because you can do that at scale. Yeah, or at least, at least the coal you can um yeah that that that's kind of the that, that's the gist of it I, i've done experiments with it but it's you know the technical complexity you know you have to pay for a compressor you have to have the energy for the compressor you have to get hydrogen reduced catalyst and so you can either buy that or you can use the hydrogen from your system to to reduce it down it's just it's a lot of complexity i try not to dive into it because it's it's like eating a small crab. It's a lot of effort for just a very little bit of meat.
1: <laughs> yeah, know. I, I know the Germans were using coal because that's all they had at the time. But
5: yeah, yeah, they did really well with it for sure.
1: Yeah, awesome. Um, I guess the other thing I was going to ask So, just when you do fill up a, a wood hopper with, uh, you know, with the chunked up wood for the uh, the fueling process. And you're trying to, re, uh, I guess, reduce the amount of oxygen coming in there to control the the outflow. Um, well, is it possible to refuel on the go, like, a, you know, like the old trains where they don't pump thing and, you know, throw a couple shovelfuls in and stuff? Um, or is it just like a kind of one and done you have to start over from, from scratch?
5: Well, y- yes and no. <laughs> yeah. If you want a clean process that feels more civilized, it's better just to run a batch, let it cool down, and then fill it up later. If you open up the top while, while it's running, what's going to happen is the suction is going to pull in fresh air and it's going to mix with all of that unrefined gas up in the hopper. And it's going to go poof. <laughs> and maybe a couple of chunks, of little, you know, a little cup, couple of chunks of wood might even fly out. And, you know, you can, you know, do that. You know, there's a little bit of smoke coming out and you just, you know, you dump your wood in real quick and, and, and put the lid down. I did at one point make, um, basically kind of like a, a valve, you know, where you could do that. But um, it t- took up so much space, it made the gasifier, you know, like half half a meter taller. And so, it, I don't know, it, it, it worked, but I, it, it's too much complexity. I would like to keep things simple. Um, I find a lot of people, they want to put all sorts of electronics on the gasifier to make it better. And, and I understand that, but I, I really build for – you know, simplicity and, and, and ruggedness at all, if at all possible for, you know. Hmm.
1: Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I am just going to break. Cause I know I, I just realized I stole a question from Alan there. I'll let him go next and then, uh, I'll probably come back to you.
2: Okay. Yeah. You did steal my question, Ian. Sorry, man. <laughs> um, so this is totally foreign. Uh, frankly, anytime Scott starts talking about gasifiers, I kind of tune out in yeah. anticipation Of this of this video, so of this uh, episode. So, um, how do you switch between your fuel sources? So you've got an engine; um, it's running, it's normally setting, you know, normally running gasoline, and you want to switch to this wood gasifier. How do yeah. you like? How do you switch between sources?
5: You have to go in, and what I like to do is I, I take off the carburetor. I'll take the studs that go into the engine block, and I'll I'll weld up something longer. And uh, I'll screw those studs back in and I'm trying to create, I don't know, maybe like um, four to five centimeters of gap. And then I'll, I'll put a, like a T into the side in between the um, carburetor and the engine block. And, um, and so I'll bring my wood gas in before the carburetor because I don't want any of that light soot going through the carburetor and, and plugging up any of the Venturi's. It's it'd be easier just to you know run it through the, the carburetor, but um, over time you're going to lose your gas functionality because those venturies will get you know clogged up. So, in order to run dual fuel, I would um, put some sort of cap over the, the the gasoline carburetor, and then I would open up it like a valve to my my wood gas, and um, and the air inlet should be as close to the intake as possible so you get good mixing and a quick startup time. One time I was experimenting and I moved the air intake a foot back. And so when I was starting the engine, it's just sitting there kind of choking on pure fuel and it couldn't ignite until, you know, that, that foot of travel was, um, pre-mixed with oxygen and then, and then it would run. So, So kind of lesson learned, keep the air intake as, as, as close to the, um, actual engine intake as possible. Okay. And I actually have a section, there's a section in the book on, on how to convert an engine, And if you really want to go all the way, you can even automate it with electronics using like an Arduino or or Raspberry Pi. Kind of sucks to have to go to that level of complexity. But if you're running AC power, you know, it really wants a crisp 3600 RPM or 1800 RPM to make that clean AC power. Now, if you want a more fudge factor, if you get like um, an engine and hook it up to a 48 volt um, or 24 volt, you know, DC system, you know, the, the engine speed can float up and down and you can kind of, you know, you can kind of just set it and, um, and, and roll with it for a little bit. Okay. Um, and the other question I had, you,
2: again, I, I haven't done any research into this at all in anticipation yep. of asking you all these questions. Um, yep. So you mentioned that you would size the, size the, 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 hearth and the system to the supply and the demand. Yep. Is there, can you give me like a, like a, like an approximate, how, how big would, would it be? Would gasifier be that would run a dump truck? You said it was. It was on the. Uh, you had it on the front of the truck. So how like how big is this thing?
5: That one was. Um, I think I used uh, propane tanks for the inside. I put the air jacket on the outside, and so propane tank is about fifteen inches uh, crosswise. So, um, I think the overall outside diameter was about nineteen inches. Let me look up uh, I can tell you the hearth dimensions real quick if you give me a second.
2: I just picture a wood gasifier being a, a really large appliance that would take up a fair bit of space. Um, but it doesn't sound it doesn't seem like that's necessarily true or
5: yeah, I mean, I tried I try to get the footprint down to two and a half feet by about five feet for, for something that size for you know the dump truck one. And then um, try to run your, use your cooling lines either underneath or, you know, you kind of hide them. So for like for a five liter engine, I have uh, these kind of hearth sizing charts. So your, um, the height from your your air jets to your choke plate, and this is, um, uh, this is a picture of your choke plate. Again, it's it's like the Venturi in a carburetor, mm-hmm. you know, if you ever had to tune a carburetor. Um, so the choke to jet height is five inches. Your choke hole diameter is going to be a little over five inches. I would use 10 jets on that. And uh, the spacing from tip to tip on the jets is going to be about 12 inches. And um, so it's not, then, it's
2: not a small, this is a small apparatus.
5: No, it's, it's not, it's not totally small. You, you can uh, go into like micro gasifiers if you're going to use charcoal and just small engines and you can really shrink it down considerably from there. Um, I have used uh, the, the cooling tubes as almost like a, like a pallet underneath of so, um, what's holding up the gasifier and what I put wheels on and, and whatnot. Um, I'll actually make that cooling tube sometimes just to make it nice and compact.
1: Okay, that's great. Just out of curiosity, there um, noise level. I mean, other than the obvious engine and the generators themselves, but like when you're first uh, flaring off the the gas to kind to get up to up to temperature and everything else, the first five to seven minutes there, what kind of noise level are we talking about? Is it like a steam engine where it's kind of hissing off, or is it fairly quiet? Or
5: it's pretty quiet. You're just going to hear the hum of a blower, um, like a shop vac. Well, not even not even really as loud as a shop vac, but kind of in that range.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I mean, like people always talk about solar being super quiet and everything else, but it, it makes noise. I mean, if you have a big uh, inverters and everything else, but I mean, yeah it's, yeah, it's not exactly super loud, that's for sure.
5: Yeah. Hmm. So um, <clears throat> let me yeah, let me just kind of try to walk people through the the process as best I can from the beginning. Um, all all of the all of the chemistry that happens happens with charcoal. And so, what you'll find with wood gasifiers is they really work best with wood chunks because wood chunks break down into into chunky charcoal that you know you want it about the size of your your thumb and a bit larger. And so, you know, you could go and pick up branches from your property. This is the part I love. You just run it over a bandsaw, and now you have some you know chunky chunky wood. You put it in the in the gasifier, but you have to put charcoal in the um in the um, hearth section first. And that way, when you're firing it up, you're shooting air into the charcoal, just like a blacksmith's forge. And if you've ever seen a blacksmith's forge, it gets a nice red glow. And then the heat rising up breaks down the wood into the gases. And like I said before, the heat below the reduction breaks down those gases into a nice clean kind of polished gas. And to, to make this happen, there, um, what they developed in during World War II and even before is something called a downdraft gasifier. That means the air is flowing down and the gas is flowing down and the feedstock is flowing down. That produces the, the most tar-free gas possible. But the challenge is you have to prop that, that charcoal up so the, the gas can flow through. So what I do is um, <clears throat> I put it up on a grate and uh, that holds up the charcoal And then the grate allows the gas to flow through. And I make the grate shake just a little bit back and forth. And it it sifts the fine gray ash and lets it fall down into the ash clean-out port. And then everything, and then the gas flows nicely up through, you know, the heat exchange collectors. It goes through a cooling process. We're trying to condense out any residual water vapor. And then as you get the gas, the colder you can make the gas, the more powerful the gas is. And then from there, you'll flare off for the first five minutes you'll get flammable gas, but really that high quality gas comes about 10 to 12 minutes in. So if you're looking at it in my videos and then the gas isn't totally clear, you're probably looking in that five to seven minute range. Um, yeah, and then you know hooking up your your uh, electric generator, I like to have a blower kind of past the generator so that that blower is pulling the gas through the whole system, through the filter, through the cooling tubes, up through the intake, and, and to the blower. And what that does is it makes the startup quick and easy. So there's, there's already gas just right there at the intake. When you start cranking over that engine, it's pulling it in and you can get a, a, a good um, startup. In the early days, I started with like pull start generators and they don't get quite enough cycles to, to, um, for the engine suction to pull that gas through all those lines. And so while you're pull starting, you know, your gas fire is cooling down. And if you don't get it to start up and, you know, you might have to go back to flare mode and, and get it hot again.
1: Hmm. Awesome. Like clearly I did not pay enough attention a chemistry class either. Just like, uh, I think Shane mentioned that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Me either. Like,
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't take chemistry. I've just, I'm a fabricator by trade. I went like around the world and built really high end, you know, architectural metalwork like Vegas and, cruise ships in Paris and, and stuff like that, or, or France on the coast. And so um, my method was like the Edison method. I built a new gasifier every week for a long time. And I would test them because I didn't fully trust it. You know, I didn't trust the information I was getting from the internet. And then I finally, I, I got to see, and then kind of one of the, the breakthroughs was I would get some fireplace glass and I would set it on top of the, the main reactor. And as, as the wood got down, I could start to see the, the pattern, the, the jet pattern in the charcoal. And that started telling me a lot about the reactions happening inside. Like if you've ever looked into your fireplace while you're having a fire, it's a cool experience. And so I do the same thing with a gasifier. I, I started um, looking through the top, but that's, it's not super practical. So then I switched up to a sight glass and that sight glass is positioned on the outside of the machine, right in front of an air jet. So you can look through the sight glass and and look right through the jet and see the color, um, you know, happening inside the hearth. So you want it as close to kind of like white hot as possible. You don't want it to get too dull, and it tells you a lot about the velocity and, and the things that are happening inside. Or if, or if there's no charcoal at all, you know you won't see any flame, and that tells you okay, some you know the machine's either empty or you know we have to uh, figure out what's wrong. One of the the main challenges with with wood gasifiers and, and the pitfalls that grab people is um, trying to get the wood to fall down. It's releasing all these sticky oils um they sometimes the wood can stick together and, and what's called uh bridging and when that happens kind of the charcoal gets burnt up below the wood and there's an empty pocket and then eventually the wood will fall down but now your jets are blasting into raw wood and now you've, you're starting to screw the process up now you're gonna you're, you're gonna make chars and so <clears throat> you definitely want to get your wood size right and um i like to connect the um engine or the generator to a uh, um you know, your gen set with a just like a, a metal bar or something, and let the vibration of the engine vibrate the um, gasifier. And so it's it's shaking and, and letting that wood kind of continuously fall down. And that really solves the problem. If you can mount the engine and the gasifier on the same skid and maybe put springs or, or something underneath so the whole system just kind of, you know, shake just a little bit, then you have a nice, you know, um Consistent, you know, feed and uh, and a good gas fire operation.
1: Awesome, Scott. You had some questions too, uh,
3: Ben. You've you've talked about uh, I mean, doing these one a week for the last fifteen years. How many gas? Well, for the last fifteen
5: years. Just when I was getting started, so I probably built I don't know, like twenty practice gasifiers, you know, over the years. And then um, once I really started to get it down, we went into production for a while. I had um, Victory Gasworks. We had a, you know, like a big social network back in the day. And, and uh, this is more like kind of like 2008 to 2010 era. And um, so yeah, I started building then and I, I switched up to stainless steel. I like it better. It performs better because it's more th- uh, thermally um, resistant. You know, it doesn't move heat as much as the mild steel. It costs more money. And so then uh, once we were in production, I probably built like a hundred gasifiers just using stainless steel and, and whatnot. And then the uh, Victor gas works, we have, you know, members. And and those guys probably built a couple hundred gasifiers, just kind of tweaking on my designs and just kind of riffing and doing their own stuff. And, and it's cool to see. And people are kind of doing the same thing with the book. I'll, I'll see, you know, videos pop up on YouTube and, and I have to kind of look at them and, and go, are they even doing this right? You know, cause sometimes I cringe, you know, some people throw in like, fine wood chips. And I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> but every, everybody learns their own way, you know? So I, I I tend to learn through the school of hard knocks and, and some other people learn that way too.
3: But you've also kind of talked about how you, you can tweak it to do different feedstock. If the area you're in doesn't have great big hardwood that you can bandsaw into two inch cubes, yeah. you can change your hearth, change your great size and, and make the, gas fire work with the fuel you have
5: exactly that's what i'm faced with here in arizona i don't have good access to wood except the pallets that I, I pick up in town you know when i run errands so i have some wood you know it's free and it's it's available i like pallet wood it's nice and dry the one nice thing about arizona though is the wood is so dry you know up in the pacific northwest it's so wet you know trying to keep your wood dry especially in the winter time oh, it's such a pain in the ass well i used to build lots of you know kind of heated um you know, wood chunk holders, I'd, I'd put an air jacket around something that had heat and I'd use a blower to push that hot air up through the wood chunks to, to keep them nice and toasty dry. To work best, you really want it under 20%. There are ways to go with um, wetter wood. During World War II, this guy kind of accidentally developed something called a moderator hopper. He was trying to, he was putting a, a wood gas fire on the front of a car and he had to shrink down the height so he could see and drive down the road. So he he made this, this hopper that was kind of short, but it was super wide. And, and unbeknownst to him, he was creating convection currents inside. So the heat would rise up. The moisture would go out to the outer, outer surfaces and be cold and it would condense out and condense out that water. And so it was just kind of nice dry wood that was flowing down and, uh, he didn't, he didn't realize for a long time why it was working. He just knew that it worked. So that that's, an you know, I tried to put some sort of extra skin, like a moderator on my hoppers, but it's really about getting that that thermal um, differential to get it. One, one area of the, of the skin, you know, cold enough to condense water. Definitely works better in the wintertime than the summer.
3: Very cool. Yeah. So, as you know an aspiring prepper, I want to end up with a wood gasifier powerful enough to run a generator. Yes, I can run a welder so that yes, you know in bad times, I yes. can make the next gasifier, and I'll be <laughs> king of the world. <laughs> yes. What advice do you have for aspiring preppers to get into their first wood gasifier?
5: You know, I would whatever you do, get get the best blower motor you can. What I, I did initially is I went out to the junkyard and I, got a, I wanted to run 12 volts. So I get a 12-volt you know, fan motor out of a junk, junk car, you know, costs 20 bucks. I'm patting myself on the back. i like, yeah you know I'm going to build a cheap gasifier. Well, th- those blowers are good for moving a volume of air, but they don't have the deep suction. You want the deep suction like a shop vac offers. You know, you get into something called water column, how much suction to move water up, say, an inch of column and you want at least nine inches of water column. So that's a fairly good amount of suction. The place, um, I, I've tried getting blower motors everywhere, you know, in the States, from China. China has the best deal, but man, it's so hard now with, you know, the container rates going up and whatnot. Um, so kind of my my advice to somebody is to just find an old Craigslist shop vac or something like that, or leaf blower, just something to give you like a, some good, strong suction to start. And then uh, I would look for... Used propane tanks, or if you have the money, a new propane tank is a way better, safer investment. But you want to get the the tall tanks. They're in the states. They're called hundred pound tanks. Uh, they usually they used to cost about 120. Now they cost about 180. But it's you know eighth inch steel and it's rolled in a in a in a cylinder, so it saves you so much fab time. So if you get the kind of the good housing to start, and then you get. Um, a good suction source to get it going, so you're getting that hot, tar-free gas. The next thing is, it's 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 so mundane, but it's so important. It's the grate. There's different styles of grates. You know, the grate is that thing that's holding up the charcoal. The gas is flowing down through the you know the grate slots, and you got to find some way to shake shake it just a little bit to get the ash to fall through. But you don't want to shake the heck out of your your um, charcoal because that just releases more soot into your gas stream that you got to filter out. Um, so you can do what's called a hanging grate. You can hang your grate on, on, uh, chains. And if you're a vehicle gasifier, the driving will kind of, kind of bump it and move it around. Um, but for stationary, uh, man, I, I probably designed like 20 different grates to, to get to the one I have now. And it uses a little, what's called a maker motor. You can pick these up for like <clears throat> 70 bucks and a maker motor, um, just a little 12 volt motor moves about 50 or 60 rotations per minute. And I'll use that for my grate. And I have it kind of on and oscillating as, as the motor moves around, it reciprocating kind of has a reciprocal motion in the grate and it just shakes it. So I would I would get that. That's the that's the thing that's going to give you steady gas flow. If you just have a gasifier with just like a solid grate that's not moving, you'll get gas for about 15 minutes, and then the ash will plug it up. So I, I did that a number of times. I made that mistake lots and lots of times. But if you can just get a little bit of motion, it works good. I like to make it more intermittent. So um, you can get a relay from a company called customrelays.com and you can just tell them what you want. I want a on delay relay. I want something that's gonna come on for three seconds or four seconds, every you know, three or four minutes. And that's all you need. You just need to come on for three seconds, just do a little shake. And then you know, a couple minutes later, it'll, it'll do it again. So that's really you know, the maximum amount of automation you need. But if you have those three things, if you have a good grate, if you have a good vacuum source and you have you know a good housing, something that you can you know weld up and make airtight, that's that's definitely the, the first place to start. When I watch you know YouTube videos of other people's stuff, I, it's awesome that they're you know outbuilding. But I look and I, I see kind of all the st- mistakes that I used to make. You know what I mean? And I have to bite my tongue not to critique them, <laughs> but I don't want to come off like a dickhead, you know? So I just kind of mind my own business. And don't say anything.
1: Well, yeah, we have, okay. We you call them, we call them 20 pounders, or hundred pounders up here as well. So I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, get used ones for sure off Craigslist or whatever, quite cheap. Uh, Bain yep. brings up some sage advice as well. He says, um, remember to cut the propane tanks underwater with scuba gear. That way you don't blow out the shop windows. <laughs> so, I guess to use tanks are right, you got that probably got to purge them out with the get the rid of the propane before you start cutting into them. But
5: yeah, ideally if you get them in a scrap yard, somebody's forced to cut them in half before they can put them into a scrap yard. So if you can find those scrap tanks, then um, somebody's already cut it for you. And that's gonna be a lot safer. I have, you know, drained down full tanks and and pulled out the valve and filled it with water. And it's, it's just kind of a stinky mess. I, I, it's just way better if you can to, um, you know, buy a propane tank or, or if you're building something small just for, you know, experiment, you know, you might be able to get a, like an old, um, oxy tank or, you know, CO2 tank, something like that, you know, just a, just a, a good solid housing. And, and again, the, the seal is really important. So I'll, I'll go to a company like McMaster car and I'll get, um, silicone cord, either three quarters of an inch or, or one inch. And I'll use that for my seals. I seal the lid with that. I'll seal the, um, you know, the filter with that. Anything high temperature, then I use the fireplace, the braided uh, rope that, you you know, you put around the outside. Yeah. And that's a pretty good seal on, um, you know, the ash clean out or, or anything um, kind of down in, in a hot area. Awesome. Yeah.
4: It's- so... So from, from my question, I guess, sort of right now, so on one side, you're needing it airtight, so it more or less smolders, but you've also got to have a way to get air into it to get it to start to burn in the first place. So what, what process do you, or what do you use for that? Do you just use like, like they would on a stove to, to damper it down? Or what do you, what do you use for that?
5: That's absolutely a great question. I use a usually like an inch and a quarter check valve for a, a smaller engine. Or if I'm going to do something bigger, I'll put two inch and a quarter check valves on there, and um, that way it's just a one way flow. You can just flow the flow the air in, and um, and if you know the system needs to shut down, the, the the valve you know closes off, and you're not leaking smoke out everywhere, because you know you with with, with gasifiers you want to create a nice user experience. And if, if you're, you know, leaking smoke or, or you know, especially if it has car- carbon monoxide in it, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't give people the feeling that it's, it's safe and effective and, and done. So those check valves really help to kind of create that, that one-way flow. And then um, what I'll do on my lids is I'll put a, a spring load. And so um, in the event that there is um, any sort of mixture of, of oxygen and, and fuel inside, you'll get what we call a, a poof. <laughs> it's like a, a wood gas sneeze. And um, it'll it'll it's a micro explosion, but it's it's not dangerous like gasoline. It's like a big ah And if you let your um your lids, you know, kind of rise up with a spring, you'll relieve that pressure safely. And also, uh, I sent you guys uh, some study st- schematics I had from um, a long time ago, and I don't know. You're welcome to you know post those up for your people or or whatever you want to do. Um, so they can kind of have a flow chart in there and they can see kind of what's step one, step two, step three, what are each of the parts of the system labeled? And so you kind of get a better idea after listening to this, or you can, you know, follow along with the schematic while, you know, while you're listening to have the the, the best kind of understanding of what we're talking about. It's, um it's kind of a challenging topic because you're trying to describe things to people sometimes that they, they don't have any prior knowledge of, you know, like whether it's chemistry or, or manufacturing or, or whatever. So, uh, you know it, it's good to have as much help as possible
0: appreciate that oh, yeah. i'll get them up on the website for everyone so they can see them
4: nice so so yeah. do you do you have like like a lot of wood stoves they they stick a thermometer on the on the the, the pipe to tell you your temperature any that. do you have anything do you use anything like that how do you know when it's up to uh, a decent temperature like is it just the way that the the smoke isn't coming out the pipe anymore or how do you how do you guess when when the, when you When to cut it off so that you don't burn too much but you're not cutting it off too early and it's not getting to temperature
5: yeah that's a great question so um i used to put thermocouples on everything so i I know what the temperatures are you know like in in the um combustion zone you're going to be like a thousand c on up to you know like 1200 c um and then as you get down below the choke plate you'll get down to about 900 degrees centigrade and you'll get these re- reducing reactions happening right up to about 600 degrees. So, right as the, the gas is, is about at the grate level, we, wanna, we want the gas leaving there probably about 550 centigrade. And then, um, and so, to answer your question, yes, you, know, you, you can put them in. And, and Steve from off-grid 48 is actually um, putting a thermocouple up through the, the grate shaft. I have enough experience that um, I just look through the sight glass. I can tell by the the color of the the hearth inside, whether it's red or orange or or even like white hot, that tells me a lot about what's going on. And you're you're very correct, the the quality of the gas coming out. So as it it gets finer and finer, um, it gets clearer and clearer. You're gonna have just a tiny wisp of, you know, kind of looks gray, you know, it's just water vapor. But for the most part, it's very clean and, and and those cues tell me quite a bit. I'll also put my hands in, you know, maybe in different places. And, and you know, I know by the time you know the cooling tubes are are hot, that's you know, usually a pretty good indication as well. What you can do is you can take off the sight glass, and um, <clears throat> since the sight glass looks right through the um, the jet, you can take off that sight glass and and rig on a cap that has a thermocouple in it, screw that cap in. I would bore that jet out a little bit more because you're eating up some of the, you know, the airflow with your thermocouple. Your thermocouple's, I don't know, like a half a centimeter or something in diameter. So, you just bore that jet out a little bit. And so, you can put a thermocouple in there. But when you're pulling, you know, 12 or 1300C, you're going to eat up a lot of thermocouples over time. So, it's good for testing and and getting used to the machine. I don't rely on it as much as I, you know, used to. It's a good... um, Good thing to use, you know, if you are going to go with automation, you can you know, put thermocouples in, in various places. And it's, it's nice to have a snapshot, but it's something, you know, that kind of raises the cost and the complexity of, of the system. I'm kind of, you know, I prefer to be an ultra low-tech guy. You know, what gets me, what got me into gasification is really about powering, you know, like a remnant of people through anything. You know, it could be what we're in right now, or it could be a pole shift in the next 10 years. It has to be brute force, simple in order to work, you know, in a low resource, you know, situation. So that's kind of the, the direction I've gone. A lot of other people have gone super high tech, and, and you, you could do that as long as your circuit boards are working. But you know, the minute you're not, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, I think the crowd uh, for, around for here,
4: me, would... I, I much, I much prefer the kiss theory. So just keep it simple, stupid. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the way to go And because so, that was kind of my thing. I mean, you're, you're experienced enough that you can, you can look through that glass and you can see what it's doing. Yep. I would have no clue. And that's where I'm saying, you know, give us something to help us out. Uh, absolutely. You know, us, simple people to know where, where we're at a good stage and, yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a great question
1: for sure. Well, I would think that the vast majority of people listening to this podcast would want to do this for, you know, an alternate backup fuel source aren't going to want to have something that's susceptible to EMP either. So yeah. <laughs> I say it's, it's definitely uh, that kind of thing. But no, I think it's it's nice to see that this is like a, a legit alternative, you know, instead of scrounging around for propane tanks afterwards, it's like you could actually go around and set up a wood gasifier and run a generator quite successfully. So that's that's pretty awesome, actually.
5: Yeah. And like I said, if you get those kind of critical components, you get a great, great shaker system, you get a good suction source and yeah, you stockpile some, you know, propane tanks and, and the silicone cord for the seal. That's, you know, that's a really good start. If you did have to run, you know, on generator power, building your gasifier, you know, that's definitely a good place to start.
4: And, and somebody, somebody uh, in the question there asked, and I, I meant to ask it too, this only works on carbureted engines, correct? It doesn't work on a fuel injection or or anything like that. You've got to have a, a carburetor, like a, a port, to be able to get in, right? It doesn't. Um, will it work with a fuel injected engine. It, it gets more
5: precise here. Um, you kind of want. something It will work with a fuel injected engine. Um, you want to get something older. There's there's computer codes like OBD one and OBD two that kind of dictate, you know, what the the programming parameters were. Like like I think a '94 Ford F250 was, you know, OBD one. And so you want to you want to be as Simple as possible. Some of those you can hack into and change the performance curves. So um, fuel injection, you know, can be okay. It just, it adds another layer of complexity. I would prefer to just have, you know, a wood gas inlet and and go carbureted, kind of for the whole EMP, you know, kind of scenario. But yeah, you, you can you can do it. Wayne Keith does that. You can find his work at Drive on Wood. Um, like he uses the Dodge Dakotas and they have fuel injection. I think the same thing with, uh, I don't know, if VESA runs through... Um, through fuel injection or not, he has t- tends to have older cars. He might be a carbureted guy, but that's um, yeah, I I, I prefer the carburetor.
0: But well, I think that nice, do it on both.
1: Well, and I think the nice thing is that most generators are still carbureted. I mean, there very few of them are fuel injected unless you get super fancy. But I mean, like the vast majority <laughs> of the champions and stuff out there, even like the Honda EI two thousands, they're all carbureted. So, I mean. Yeah, there's, def- there's definitely
0: alternatives there. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I, I think, think uh, Matt here's got a question. Yep. Uh, just we regards it. to, uh, I think we did, but uh, engine timing. I think you mentioned you do have to make some slight modifications.
5: You know, when we started out, that was kind of like what everybody was talking about, and, and we did it, you know. But I noticed people don't really do that so much anymore. I think everybody's kind of got enough wood gas hours now. We go, you know what? It's not destroying the engines like, you know, we potentially thought. So I run everything just at stock now. It's, um, it's more like if you're going to go 3,600 RPM, those are, you know, tend to be the most affordable generators. If you were going to advance, I'd advance it on, you know, on 3,600 RPM. But if you have an 1,800 RPM generator, which tend to be the better ones, um, I wouldn't even bother because you're just not getting enough speed, you know, to, to make it an issue. But I've never had an, an issue, um, you know, with, with timing way back in the day, you know, like I would tar up something and, and bend a valve, um. Push rod tube, you know, and I could take the engine apart, kind of hammer out the push rod tube, <laughs> and put it back in, and uh, uh, you know, I've had engines that you know I've done that, and, and they've gone on to just run forever on wood gas. What is cool about wood gas is because there's nitrogen in the mix, it, it does rob some of the power, but you get this really kind of like this soft poof poof poof. It's almost like there's a, a pillow inside the combustion chamber. The the nitrogen, um, it's not so much clang clang clang. It's poof poof poof. And then the nitrogen grabs some of that excess heat and pulls it out of the system. So I, I think engines actually, to me, sound better and, and feel better on wood gas than they do on, say, gasoline. Just a little smoother, you know, just like any gaseous fuel. You know, just, it's a little bit smoother because the air-fuel ratio is um, is good. Also, I do want to touch on the air-fuel ratio. So for propane, I think it's something like 8 to 1, whereas wood gas is 1 to 1. So one unit of air to roughly one unit of wood gas. And, and so that gives you an idea, you know, it's, 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 the air fuel ratio is different enough. You kind of want your own intake system just for wood gas. And uh, you know, I, like I said, I put plans for that in, in the book. If you want to go that route, if, if you, if you, Get some practice with wood gas, and you, and like I said earlier, you you pull the gas right past the intake, so th- the gas is is so close to getting into the cylinders. You get a nice quick startup. It's not a big deal to run just on wood gas. You know what I mean? You could just take the carburetor off and just run on wood gas. Um, you know, and it, it's real simple. You know, that's a, a good start for just driving around your neighborhood. I keep my carburetor in the trunk. If I had some engine problems, <laughs> I'd, I'd unbolt that intake and put the carburetor back on to get home or something. But um, yeah, that's you know, something something to think about.
3: Don't yep.
1: me a lot to the, yeah.
3: the lovely thing about your book, Ben, is it's yeah. all simple materials. Start with this propane tank easy to source materials. If you want the CAD files, you have those on your website so you can have someone laser cut steel so that it's easy for a a beginner builder to manage.
5: Yes. Yeah. People have have loved the book. Um, I used to be kind of a snob. You know, I only build stainless steel gasifiers, but the average person isn't going to build a stainless steel gasifier. So I I made, I made the book and I didn't know what people were going to think. I just, I wanted to leave a lineage cause I put so many thousands of hours in this. I was like, I have to hand this down or I'm going to feel really stupid <laughs> you know, putting all this time in, you know, I'll listen to the ex-wife bitch and moan about you're covered in creosote. <laughs> you know, you stink <laughs> like like carbon monoxide. You know, there, there was a lot of trials and tribulations in those early days. And so <clears throat> I wanted, you know, to pass down the knowledge and, and, and try to move everybody forward. And, um, uh, yeah i i it's 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 possible you're going to probably have the best experience if you get a little team together trying to do it all on your own if you're not a fabricator it it may be a little too much but you know you get a guy who understands 12 volt electronics from vehicles with a welder you know maybe some other person you know you could pool your resources build a nice gasifier and get some experience if it's not for you just put it up on ebay you know try to get your money back and you know at least you tried But I think once you're into it, you're really going to like it. It just, it feels like magic. It feels like there's a crack in the matrix and you're like, wow, there are things that are, that are possible that are just hidden under the surface. You know, like I lived in a logging town growing up and, and everything was wood, but nobody knew this, you know, nobody said anything about wood gasification. So, you know, it's, it's there, it is possible. Don't underestimate it. It is, you know, you're, you're taking on building a personal refinery. So I I don't want to, oversell it but I did try to make it as easy as possible and I've seen a lot of people build and, and be happy with it so I think we're on the right track
0: that's awesome yeah very cool yeah. well
1: I guess uh, we should we should put a link for uh, Ben's book up in the uh, show notes as well but we
0: will certainly yep. do that
1: yeah, nice. I throw Would it you- in
0: the live chat a few times as well okay yeah um with that should we move on to the podcast challenge?
2: Whew, it's a big one this week. Find something and, and, to create or buy something that uses wood. Commercial homemade, a rocket stove, a bio camp stove, a Kelly kettle, anything. I've been saving this for an hour and almost nine minutes now. At yeah, I know. Time, uh, uh, how many times did he say CO and he didn't dioxide. even like
1: screech? <laughs> he was oh, muted. I
2: did, but I was muted for the entire, for the entire time for that specific <laughs> oh. reason. Please 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 anytime you are working around burning fuels class a class a combustibles make sure that you have your carbon monoxide detector plugged in and that it is working because otherwise it will kill you and it will suck well, the entire time you were dying
1: and also i would say have a hose with a nice little you know strong attachment on it ready to uh, put out the fire that invariably is going to happen when i start building stuff so
2: <laughs> <laughs> eh, I don't really care about that. It keeps your local firefighters busy, and they'll be happy. So, yeah, I yeah, care yeah. more about you dying than burning stuff down. Stuff is replaceable; people aren't. Yeah, um, fair enough. So, yeah, that's my that's my. I, I, I had to calm myself through the rest, through the last hour, but I think we're good to go now. Um, this is very specifically creating. Carbon monoxide on purpose through incomplete combustion, yep. and then using it. Uh, if there is a leak in your system anywhere, that can get into your occupiable space, it is going to do bad things to you. So just keep that keep that in the back of your mind when you're building your system.
5: Yeah, if I could interject real quick, kind of um, people ask where's the best place to put a gasifier. If you have a shed away from your house, and you um, you know you can put it kind of under the eave, give it a little space. You know you don't want to heat up the back of the shed, but it's outdoors. It's it's ventilated. You might want to put a, a metal cage around it just to keep anybody from nabbing it or you know stealing it because it's you know it might be kind of interesting. But that's usually a good place to put it and make sure there's no windows nearby because yeah, the carbon monoxide is an issue. Working next to these for years, especially in the beginning when I was just starting out, I, I did inhale a lot of carbon monoxide, <laughs> and you feel hung over the next day. There's no doubt about it because it, it robs your blood's ability to um, bond with oxygen molecules, as I understand it.
2: Yeah, so it bonds to the same sites in the hemoglobin, which is the red, your red blood cells bonds, to the same sites as the oxygen does, okay, but yeah. 250 some odd times more effectively than oxygen. Okay. So oh, wow. you're, you're essentially suffocating internally yeah. for a brief period of time, yeah. uh, which would be why you're uh, feeling hungover. You're, you've just basically <laughs> had a lack of oxygen for a while, and you're, yeah. you're exceptionally dehydrated yeah. at, at the end. Well, there you
0: go. For those with scorecards, uh, we made it twenty-five minutes before Ben mentioned carbon dioxide or monoxide. Sorry, so, it wasn't me, it, yeah. and it was not Alan. Yeah. Yeah, Alan didn't mention it to an hour and about nine minutes
4: in. So, and that's got to be a record.
0: That's totally
2: pretty record. sure. Pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure that's the latest I've ever mentioned CO in a <laughs> in an episode.
0: <laughs> well, with that, shall we move to deal of the week?
1: All right, so we have uh, ammo at palooza, Princess Auto this week. So better Andrew from uh, Patriot Podcast, who seems to be a regular contributor now. Um, yeah. He pointed out the fact that they have two different sets of ammo cans on sale: either uh, four pieces of the 30 cal ammo cans with a built-in shelf, or a assortment. Uh, all both on for 29.99. Uh, yeah, it's a good deal, and it's good for building solar power generators and everything mm-hmm. else. And, you know, carrying ammo for reasons. But Sounds
0: like Princess is getting more of my money. Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> until the yeah, 15th, I think, so.
3: Nice. Right,
0: right. We'll move into some shout-outs. So, quick shout-out to uh, Darren completing uh, more podcast challenges. Uh, 20, 27, 93... I uh, tried out Brazilian j- jiu-jitsu classes, um, made and sold uh, choices in EDC, or made some solid choices in EDC, and I uh, grew some produce and built a compost box with only hand tools. Oh, nice work.
2: <laughs> so he's the new Ian. He's now more of a keener than we are. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well done. That's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> way to go, Darren. You'll be on
2: the show next
0: you're replacing yeah. scott now that scott's gone yeah yeah we're, we're taking applications since this will probably be scott's last episode
1: yeah uh although this guy might be a, a good contender for uh another podcaster here uh bronson deagle i got a shout out for he is a ontario-based firefighter in training who managed uh, single-handedly to save a family of four from drowning this week uh in uh in a lake uh maybe using his giant gonads as a flotation device i don't know but like <laughs> he was, he was a, so
2: he's a he's a london firefighter actually i he's he's brand new and I, I know the area where he where they were um, and yeah it's like it's nasty for riptides and he, uh, he phenomenal phenomenal effort and um, yeah just uh, I think he's I think London made the
0: right choice by hiring him yeah it's hard enough saving one person in the water let alone four yeah, yeah that's impressive yeah. Right. Uh, yeah email iTunes reviews So we got
2: one from Kyle, and Kyle says ideas for future podcasts: fire safety for the home. Most people don't have the proper fire extinguisher, which includes size, type, and knowledge on how to use them. Also, the maintenance on extinguishers. I thought Ian left because I was in the live chat for the first time. Well, um, so we'll start start with episode twenty six. We kind of kind of did a a a little bit on that. Um, The high level we we will. I was saying before the episode i don't want to really do an entire episode on fire extinguishers because i would be the only person that finds it interesting um (laughs) but uh there's there's a there's a lot here so in in short sizing the right um sizing the right extinguisher and getting the right type of extinguisher depends on the hazard that you're that you're coming across so um whether it's uh most most extinguishers you would get for your house would be class c which will which will cover your class a solids your class b liquids and live electrical makes the most sense um there's also a class d which would be for flammable metals like magnesium and a class k for oils and fats if you were somebody that had a really weird deep fryer setup on a consistent basis um the high level maintenance flip it upside down once a month give it a quick shake uh keeps the keeps the powder inside from getting all cakey and then inspect the outside for any visible damage make sure that the 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 needle is in the green on the on the gauge, and if it doesn't have a needle, don't buy it. And then check the expiry date. They need to be hydro tested every, I think, ten to fifteen years, depending on the size of the manufacturer. So um, check on that and replace it before it needs time before it needs to be done. Do the same thing with your fire with your smoke detectors and your CO alarms.
1: And That's when good. the fire extinguishers expire, get your kids to practice using them, and then yeah, you can absolutely, go refill them. Yep.
2: Yeah. Um, so there's a uh, there's actually a company and there's well uh, because I'm because I'm local to London uh, there's a company here that actually just they do they'll take the, their old non-certifiable fire extinguishers and sell them for ten bucks filled. So you you can it, it can't be certified. I mean you can use it if you want to. You can keep it around, but they're they're perfect for practicing. Um, where you put your fire extinguisher, always put it between your sor- your potential hazard, right, your source of fire, usually in your kitchen, and your exit, so that. You're on your way towards safety. Should you change your mind and decide that you you can't fight that fire, or you grab your extinguisher, you try to put it out. It doesn't work. At least you've got you, you've got an area of refuge. So that's um, we can we can expand on that a little bit. We were actually talking about a, an episode th- coming up that we could uh, um, we could do a little bit more a little bit more into that without trying to take up a whole hour on shiny red things. Um, but that's a great. Uh, those are those are some great options. And then mostly we just kick you in out at random because it's fun sometimes.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm anti-social, so I just laughed anyway. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: All I'd right. Come back though.
1: Yeah, cool. Uh, I got one from Rome with two M's. Uh, it says, gentlemen, I want to thank you for putting on this podcast. It's become my favorite so much so that I've gone back and listened to your entire Spotify catalog. Oh. Um, it is funny. Yeah, it is funny and informative. Without the, we are all going to die on so many other prepper prep podcasts. Well, we could do that if you want. Well, uh, we are going to sure. die,
2: but we might as well have some fun in the meantime.
1: Yeah, yeah. Man, everybody's, everybody's only got so many years to live. Uh, I found the news segment very interesting. Uh, that what we have done for preps is getting a little long.
0: My apologies.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll do better. Uh, I have a do you have few questions Ian for the panel? He, he
2: he must be in the, he must be in the Ian and Hughes section of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, like those 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 episodes were. Uh, you guys are totally competing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Uh, do I do have a few questions for the panel and a few suggestions for future shows. So, one, here in the USA, once you get your tech license, the FCC can make unannounced and warrantless inspections. Uh, wow. Eric, you want to touch on that?
0: Yeah, so um, I nerded out and actually copied the Radio Communications Act section 8 into the show notes here. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it verbatim. So everybody calm down. <laughs> uh, long story short of it. I know, sorry. Uh, long story short of it, um, inspectors can go into anywhere at a reasonable time without a warrant in Canada, except a dwelling house. So hmm. your you're home. Um, a dwelling house, they require a warrant. Uh, To get that warrant, they need to have either already been turned away or have uh, reasonable grounds that they will be turned away if they go and ask for permission first. Uh, So they can apply for a search warrant for your house, but it has to be a search warrant. Um, They can come knock at your door and say, hey, let us in. And you can politely say, because Canadian, right? Please go away. Uh, But... uh, yeah, they uh, they can apply for a search warrant, but for a for residents, long story short of it, they need that warrant. Um, mm-hmm. They need to come and ask nicely, and you need to let them in one or the other. So, but commercial building, yeah, they can just come in anytime they want warrantless to search. And that's cool. uh, Section 8 of uh, Radio Communications Act. All right
1: cool uh
2: and he also has asks- section 7 about
0: possession or I- article 7 possession by her majesty that's kind of interesting oh, <laughs> yeah i i put a little tinfoil hat uh, comment in here too about section 7 so uh her majesty may assume and for any length of time retain possession of any radio station and things necessary for the uh, sufficient working of that station so yeah read into that how you want
1: so proving once again we don't have property rights in this country but absolutely not yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, he also asked, what about the use of black powder firearms in the US? As long as it does not use a 209 primer, which is a shotgun primer, it is uh, not considered a firearm. Yeah. Well, uh, for once again, very rarely, Canada is better off than the States. Uh, we actually, believe it or not, if it's a matchlock, flintlock or wheel lock, less than 500 feet per second, less than 10,000 kilojoules and less than 20 millimeters and smoothbore, <laughs> uh, it is not a firearm. Um actually, believe it or not, up until this recent uh, gun ban that we had, uh, we were actually allowed cannons, mortars, grenade launchers, and everything that were not considered firearms. No problem. (laughs) And then also they introduced all these new restrictions, but uh, we've always been able to send guns through the mail, real guns or uh, flintlocks. But the good news is, yeah, like uh, black powder firearms, generally, if they're flintlock, or or don't use a primer, basically, so you can use a fuse if you want, or whatever, uh, yeah, it's not considered a firearm. But um, generally not Use there is black powder seasons for hunting around here, but yeah, I there's not a big uptake on that <laughs> for reasons I just listed off, which sound ridiculous because I mean, you might as well use a pellet gun at that point. Um, I, would, I would
2: genuinely like to go deer hunting with a cannon, just see how it goes.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, I saw a guy at the range a little while ago, he'd actually taken a helicopter, sh- like a drive shaft, bored it out, and he turned it into a smooth bore 50 cal mini cannon with, with wow. it with like a with a spring assist on it and everything and it was fuse powered and smooth bore so it was like not a firearm yeah. wow I was like awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i was like that's pretty cool actually and he was yeah. saying he was basically lobbing it at the 100 yard target and stuff i was like good for you man that's awesome
5: yeah but he actually
1: but he yeah. actually had to mount it into the the bench with a like leg bolts so or else it was gonna fly backwards but <laughs> yeah. anyway pretty cool nonetheless cool. um Possible future shows, he says, uh, food that our ancestors used, such as pemmican, parched corn, hardtack, fruitcake. Joke. Hey, I love fruitcake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
2: love, uh,
1: nobody likes that. Portable soup, no. uh, biltong, or beef jerky. So um, yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly we actually have Carmen coming on hopefully next week, and she sounds like this is right up her uh, her alley here. So um, yeah, there's certainly something we could cover off on the show there. And also, he mentions maybe what the pioneers took with him, uh, taking a look at the Oregon Trail, the mountain men, or the people that went over the Chilkoot Trail in the Yukon. Um, yeah, because they were allowed, they had to have a minimum of 1,000 pounds of gear, I do believe, over the pass, or else they weren't allowed to even go because they needed to have a certain amount of survival gear. Hmm. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they actually generally brought with them. Uh, just a little bit about himself. Uh, he's been prepping for a long time. We also have a dehydrator, a dehydrator and have dehydrated just what, anything you can think of. Also, a medium-sized freeze dryer, and we used a water bath and pressure canner. We're going to be trying retort canning soon uh, as the retort bags yeah. are delivered. Which I don't even know what that is, but I'm sure Carmen will tell us next week. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you from Rome. Oh, that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, those are some great ideas. I love I love some of these ideas. We well, we can uh, expand on all of those for sure.
1: Yeah, I know for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. Well, with that, I will bring episode 126 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or, of course, your favorite podcast app. Uh, Please help us out. Submit a review. It does help other people find us. We
2: do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. I'm sure Facebook is similar. If you want to get me, find me at Alan, that's with one L, at prepperpodcast.ca.
4: And if you're looking for me, I play the gray man. Uh, you can just get me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca.
0: Yep, I know where to find you. <laughs> and,
4: <laughs> I, I yeah, may so or you may come not be. my stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scott so may you- or
3: may not be here. So, you know, feedback at prepperpodcast. I'm going to
5: steal Scott from you guys and uh, I'll yeah. <laughs> loan him back to you on occasion.
0: <laughs> okay, that works. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so, if you guys want to follow along to uh, what we talked about today, this is the book. It's called The Wood Gasifier Builder's Bible. We have a bunch of videos on our YouTube channel. It's called Victory Gasworks. I have some of my old videos, but there's a reader I have named um, Steve from Off Grid 48. He just put 28 videos up, I think, step by step of a gasifier built. So you can watch it at home for free. He's like our, my super reader. So definitely go to Victory Gasworks and, and there's lots of free information there. And thank you so much for having me, guys. This is, uh, it's been a really fun time, actually. I'm super
0: stoked. So thank you. Well, it's been awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for uh, coming out and sharing your information with everybody.
1: Yeah. Um, if you want to reach in, you can uh, contact me directly at theislandretreat at gmail.com. Or on Gab and Odyssey at the Island Retreat. And you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast, uh, which is on iTunes and YouTube. And in the Discord group, Canadian Patriot Podcast. Email us if you want an invite. Uh, they you can dis- find us discussing why government waste in society gives me gas. <laughs> <laughs> every, week, every week. I think that's oh. the
2: worst one yet, Ian.
1: <laughs> Dad jokes will come fast yeah. and furious for a while yet. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Not has not you all fired up.
1: Oh, it, like that was, oh, that was so uh, much time. You could have told me that, that before
0: been, the show. Uh, yeah, I, I would much
2: rather do this live.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can get me there on the live chat. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening. And until next time, be prepared, stay safe,
1: and keep learning. <laughs>